Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Te territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequemulu. And today's text, All American Boys, written by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley, doesn't have a land acknowledgement. And we'll talk about why in a little bit. Right. But Joe, Mm -hmm. this is a very fitting book for being the last of the band book series of book club books. That was an Mm -hmm. awful sentence. (laughs) Because this was, in fact, the 26th most banned book in 2002. Um, And so we're just coming off of a year of a lot of banned book Mm -hmm. chatter, a lot of, you know, and not in the way we've often used banned book as like this catch all term. Right. For any kind of book challenges. But, you know, I don't know if you've seen the videos going all the way around on the social medias of like empty libraries in Florida where mm-hmm. teachers have had to remove all the books. So, yep, this is a hot moment to be having this conversation. And this book in particular has been at the center um, this year. So I just right. thought we'd uh, we'd wrap up our band book series with this one. Yeah, and folks, we do have a new theme. We'll elaborate more at the end of the episode. But you're right, Brennan, you know, this seems... (laughs) Yeah, uh, I mean, one of the responses that we got from Tea, Books, and Chocolate said that they were surprised that this book wasn't more recent, considering that it seems to be directly speaking to recent issues Mm -hmm. of racialized violence uh, by the police force. And... You know, this isn't a new book. And yet I think that's very telling that we read this and we think, oh, it's so topical. And it's not because this isn't a new issue. And unfortunately, it's not going away. Yeah. In fact, Jason Reynolds and Brandon Kiley were they were on a book tour together because they both were writing for the same publishing house. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like sharing a room on a book tour when George Zimmerman was acquitted of the murder of Trayvon Martin. Right. And that was the genesis both for their friendship and also for this book. It was like, how mm. can we talk about police brutality? And then the Michael Brown murder happened in 2014. And that was when they started actually like putting pen to paper and writing the book. So yeah, I know, I know Tea Books and Chocolate makes the point that like, it feels like a direct response to George Floyd. And I mm-hmm. think the directness and the immediacy of the book reflects the fact that it was a direct response to in this case, Michael Brown and Trayvon mm-hmm. Martin. But it, it's really upsetting that the story doesn't seem to change, right? We've just come nope. out, you know, we're, we are recording this extremely, I would say for Joe, uncomfortably close to the release date <laughs> at the moment. And we've just... What are you saying? Are you saying we've already advertised that the episode's <laughs> coming out as we're recording this? <laughs> and we've just come out of another round of protests in Memphis this weekend, right? And yeah. so... The evergreenness of this story is so upsetting. And I I think it's a really interesting approach that Reynolds and Kylie are taking here to try to talk to both black teens and white teens Mm -hmm. at the same time to kind of recognize the pressures on community to sort of like 
in the case of the Quinn character to kind of like toe this racist line that everyone is in his community is like willing to embrace and mm-hmm. and instead to try to find common ground. And really, this is a book about trying to find common ground in pursuit of justice, not like common ground in pursuit of like not talking about things, <laughs> but mm-hmm. but common ground <laughs> specifically in pursuit of justice. Yeah, exactly. But Britta, I realize we're we're kind of already digging into oh, yeah. the meat of it. Oops. So should we elaborate <laughs> what this book is about? Yeah, sure. So this book follows two characters, Rashad and Quinn, and they are really navigating an episode of police brutality. So um, mm-hmm. Rashad is assaulted by a white police officer in a convenience store. He gets misinterpreted as stealing um, when really he's trying to help this lady in in the shop and mm-hmm. his his behavior is completely misunderstood or conveniently misunderstood by mm-hmm. a police officer. Um, and he ends up being quite brutally assaulted. Yeah, really badly. In fact, much of the action of the book from Rashad's perspective takes place from in a hospital room as he's recovering mm-hmm. from these injuries and sort of listening to the discourse about him happening around right. him without being able to participate. Yeah, it's his life, but he doesn't get to live it because he's been effectively sidelined, like literally effectively sidelined, put in the hospital. And he just has to watch people talk about who he is without the ability to speak for himself. Exactly. And then we have on the other side, we have a character named Quinn. Uh, Quinn is a white teen. Uh, He sort of knows of Rashad. They're not friends, but Quinn plays on the basketball team with close friends of Rashad. And Quinn has been effectively like raised by the officer in question. So uh, Quinn's dad was a soldier who gets killed in either Iraq or or Afghanistan. And Mm -hmm. as a result, this neighbor has like really stepped up to help raise him. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, Quinn can't just (laughs) side with his community because Quinn actually saw everything take place. He was a witness to the incident and he's really struggling with how to process the violence that he has seen the officer perpetuate against Rashad and his general sense that like Rashad's a good guy and mm-hmm. Rashad is kind of like a, a model victim in right. the book in the sense that he is you know he's doing officer training he's a good student he's yep. you know never gotten into trouble yeah and so when the police officer and the friends and family of the police officer try to like paint him as being you know like a thug or whatever yeah. it's it's a hard sell and so <laughs> it should be a hard sell it, it and you know, there's plenty of people who are willing to go along with it because you know yeah. it's really hard to be a police officer you never know if you're going to come home at night and i appreciate that we are getting those little tidbits but I do think one of the things that the book struggles with, particularly when you're an adult reader, is that it is so evident who is right and who is wrong. And the police officer is really wrong. He's really, really wrong. And it's, you know, it's as much a book about this sort of shattering of Rashad's innocence as it is a book about Quinn trying to figure out how you make sense of the world Mm -hmm. um, when the people who are supposed to be the good guys turn out to actually be the bad guys. And and so the book is written in alternate point of view. So it switches between Rashad's perspective, which is written by Jason Reynolds, and Quinn's perspective, which is written by Brendan Kiley. Um, mm-hmm. Because the two voices are written by two different authors, this is one they of the- feel very different. Yeah, it's one of the better examples of dual POV because we have very different voices and very different mm-hmm. characters. 
but also they do speak well to each other so it's not a hugely jarring disconnect like when you transition between the chapters you distinctively know whose perspective you're reading but it's not oh wow this is a different book yeah agreed totally and then basically the way it works is you've got these two narratives uh rashad is in the hospital um sort of navigating his dad's desire for everything to get swept under the rug versus Mm -hmm. his brother's desire to take this moment and use it politically yep and then we've got quinn who's going to school and he's navigating the social world of like realizing that he actually doesn't agree with the way a lot of the white kids are responding to the situation Mm -hmm. and those two stories run in parallel to each other until the end when we have a large protest which both rashad and quinn appear at and effectively kind of lay eyes on each other for the only Mm -hmm. time in the book yeah i i really not to jump all the way to the end but (laughs) i was very worried at about the halfway point that we were going to turn this into some kind of everybody hold hands sing kumbaya the world is going to be different and better moving into the future Mm -hmm. and it's not like the movie is aggressively disinterested in suggesting anything will change there's no big sweeping grand motions it's literally just the story of these two boys and how they kind of come to not even an ending right it's it's that their eyes have been opened and they will move forward with a new perspective. Yeah. So Joe just called it a movie. It is, it is of course a book. Um, but <laughs> It's but, very visual, Brenna. But I was going to say that actually I can see how Joe would make that mistake because the, the text itself does, like, I'm surprised we don't have a movie of this yet, Joe. Right? It really well, would hmm. lend itself well to, you know, a kind of dual POV film with a pretty big, like, dramatic ending, although they would make it like, a, and now we're best friends, which is not mm-hmm. at all what happens in the book. No. <laughs> I mean, I think the reason that it hasn't been turned into a movie is because this is too fraught yeah. still. Like, yeah. to be frank, I'm surprised that we got The Hate You Give, which was the kind of direct comparison I kept making in my head. But even that book, which folks, you can go back and re-listen to it. It's an early episode on the pod. But that book and subsequent film has a more kind of classically cinematic Hollywood, it gets better ending. Mm -hmm. And this book doesn't offer that kind of reassurance. And I, I think we, as in the collective society that we are all members of, are not ready for an open-ended film that doesn't make us feel better about ourselves. I think you're probably right. And I think some of the responses at different places where the book has been banned really sort of speak to that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because the kind of language that's used around the bands is... um, In one band, the citation says, this contains too much of a sensitive matter right now. (laughs) I don't even know what to do with that. No, I know, I know. And then in one instance, actually, this was in South Carolina, when the book was removed from a classroom in Wando High School, um, the police union was actually involved in that. Oh, shocking. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, in fact, many places where the book has been removed, the police have been, the police or the police unions have been directly involved in right. taking aim against the book and I, I think that's really interesting it's because telling. i don't think the book 
is anti-police. I think what no, the book... No, it's anti-one police officer. Yeah, and what the book is pointing out is that, like, it's really easy to side with law enforcement. Like, it mm-hmm. is by far the easier choice in this book for Quinn to side with law enforcement. The fact that he mm-hmm. chooses to sort of think through the situation for himself and come to a more critical view is, like, it's really, really fraught. Yeah, it takes him the entire book, even though you you kind of know slash hope he's going to get there in the end. It's not an easy journey. Like the the kind of deeply ironic thing about the Quinn character is that he's present but uninvolved in what mm-hmm. actually happens to Rashad. Mm-hmm. And then he has to decide, do I want to step off the sidelines and actually get involved in this when it's so much easier for me to put my head down say nothing like not even quote unquote choose a side Mm -hmm. although by staying silent you are choosing a side but for him he's looking at his basketball scholarship and future and thinking if i say nothing there's a good chance that goes ahead as planned so it actually hurts me to get involved and he has to decide to do the right thing. Yeah, and it's it's kind of great, right? Because it really clearly articulates just how easy it is for whiteness to mm-hmm. side with dominance. And Absolutely. yeah, and like it's funny because I think that Jason Reynolds is the writer that I prefer. Like I really right. appreciated Rashad's voice. I thought Rashad was extremely well fleshed out emotionally mm-hmm. as a character and I particularly enjoyed the difficult relationship with his father and how he navigates Mm -hmm. that like i thought that was all really well done yep i know where you're going with this you're gonna say (laughs) the quinn stuff is actually the more compelling parts of the book yes it is and you know part of that is like i am a white person yes exactly 100 (laughs) percent cop to that this is a book about this is a book that is 50 percent about white people trying to not suck (laughs) like white people being like oh crap shoot i'm a racist i need to work on myself (laughs) relatable content as i always like to say and one of the things that i like actually is that there's a class dynamic to quinn's whiteness too Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's clearly like there's sort of like the italian american community in this city where you know there's an expectation of like sticking together and also an expectation of these kind of like blue collar but high prestige jobs like policing as being sort of the pinnacle likewise quinn's dad as being a soldier it's like this is Mm -hmm. what our this is what you can aspire to within the community and there is not much beyond that as an option and also you've got to live up to it because these are our american heroes exactly exactly and so I just thought that that was really well done and more complicated. Like, it could have been a very easy, like, Quinn Mm -hmm. is bad and Rashad is good and (laughs) burp, 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 burp. (laughs) Yeah, or, you know, Quinn learns a lesson on the very first try. And it's almost aggravating to watch Quinn waffle back and forth. Like, there's so many times where he has these practices with English, who is a friend of Rashad's, and... English is on the basketball team with Quinn, and he takes a knee in protest. You know, he does try to rock the boat in his own private way. And we've got this, I think, white coach, if not coded white coach, who is basically saying, no, we need to come together as a team. There's no I in this. You know, we all need to do this to succeed. Everybody fall in line, which is basically just white propaganda. Every time I see that cliche of there's no I in team, I remember my brother once telling a gym teacher who was like, there's no I in team. And my brother was like, yeah, but there's a me. There's like an M and an E. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Every time I read that line, that's what I think of. Um, yeah, I think that that's a really important character, actually, the gym teacher, because he's got this sense of like, why would you get yourself involved in this? It's exactly. Because like, society... The default is to not get involved. <laughs> yes, the default is to not get involved. The default is to just put your head down. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think in general, the book does a good job. And obviously, like, this book has won a bunch of awards. It won mm -hmm. the Walter Dean Myers Award, the Coretta Scott King Award. Like, these are really important awards, not just for literature, but for literature and its intersection with social justice. And mm -hmm. and you can see why. The book is sort oh, yeah. of doing – the book is doing hard work here. And it's also – you know, I said off the top there was no territorial acknowledgement today. The book is set yes. in Springfield – Okay. As any, question mark, question mark. <laughs> well, as any Simpsons fan knows, the whole reason right. why The Simpsons is set in Springfield is because 34 of the 50 U.S. states have a Springfield. So mm -hmm. if you want in any town USA, Springfield is a good name to pick. Mm -hmm. And it's also useful, I think, and important because, you know, one of the things we've talked about on the show before is getting past, especially for us as Canadians, is getting past a sense of like, the South in America has racist mm -hmm. stuff and the North is okay. Um, yeah. That's clearly not been the case when we've seen how police brutality has played out across the U.S., but it's mm -hmm. also just, yeah, it's just by calling it Springfield, it could be Springfield, Ohio. It could be like, there's a lot of places that it could be that aren't sort of rooted in a kind of deep South politics. And I think that's really important too. Yeah, I agree. Like it's not even clear how big the city of springfield is mm -hmm. like people seem to be able to move relatively easily so you think oh maybe it's a smaller city but then they seem to have the amenities of a big city so you can really i guess put it forth in your mind that this could literally be any springfield anywhere and as a result this is your backyard and one of the things that becomes so shocking at least for quinn and and i can't remember the name of the girl quinn is it jill Anyway, <laughs> Quinn sort of aligns himself with a girl who is, she's from the same community. In fact, I think she's even closer, like she's a cousin of the officer. Yes. Yeah. But she too is asking a lot of difficult questions about what has happened. And they are both shocked when they turn out for the protest and they see the intense militarization of the police. Like this, these are mm -hmm. not the kinds of things that they typically see in their own neighborhoods. And so... Even though their neighborhoods, like, these are not rich kids, but they come from sort of the Italian-American community within the town, and they're not used to these kinds of displays of force. And so, you know, there's all these moments that are like, oh, yeah, I can see what what Reynolds and Kylie are doing here. They're trying to remind us that, like, this is a situation that could unfold anywhere and that the police capacity for violence and for sort of militarized control exists everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, Joe. Yes. I get all of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I enjoyed reading the book. I genuinely enjoyed reading the book. Like, I liked the characterizations. And I can see that it's doing hard work, but I can't help but feel like... Mm -hmm. I wanted something more out of it, and I don't even know what that more was. I just... I wanted to be more deeply challenged by this book, I think, than mm -hmm. I actually was. And I was wondering how you felt about that. Yeah, it's interesting because we, we mentioned that we heard from Tea Books and Chocolate. We also heard from Victoria and Miriam. And all three of the responses were, 
this is a good book. You know, it's challenging. It's doing the work. It's got some interesting characters. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the other characters in a little bit. But I'm inclined to agree with you. I, I'll admit I had a little bit of difficulty getting into this one. Um, the writing to me felt younger mm-hmm. than I expected. Mm-hmm. Like this actually felt almost middle grade touching on young adults. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know if that's part of the intent of these authors. Like they wanted to make a book that was highly accessible that anybody could kind of pick up and read and understand the messaging because it is such an important message. And I don't want to take that away from them, but I can't help but feel that in our own trajectory on the show, reading books that have been banned and particularly other books that have dealt with race and racialized violence and that kind of stuff, I do feel like this one is, I don't want to say shallow in a really horrible way, but this one does feel just a little bit more slight. I, yeah, I agree. And I think, I wonder if honestly the problem is that we're reading it too late. Like we should have read it in 2015 and been like, holy crap, this is like out there. (laughs) When it was like riding the wave of popularity and excitement. Yeah, I mean, as we said, I don't think it's more timely five or seven or eight years ago. But at the same time, it it does feel like we've maybe read some other texts that have been published in response to it or that have benefited from this book getting published first and kind of laying that foundation for them to go harder. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, I think this is probably a foundational text in relation to these types of stories. And so... (laughs) Like any time we read, you know, we experience the same thing when we read classic books that have been banned, right? Where we're like, well, what the? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, underage drinking. And I think it's one of those things where we're maybe being... Probably a little tough. Yeah, there's a little bit of ahistoricity to the way we're approaching the text. And even though this Mm -hmm. only came out in 2015, like, yeah, the needle has just moved so much. You know, when you look at something like the way the way someone like Angie Thomas is dealing with racism and mm-hmm. police violence, like, yeah, things have just progressed, which is not to say that this isn't a worthwhile book, because I think that it really is. And the fact that it is still like, clearly deeply threatening to the establishment. Yes. You know, it's a good point. But yeah, I agree with you about the slightly middle grade vibe. Like I would see this in a grade nine classroom going mm-hmm. down really well, whereas we are, I think, used to tackling this kind of story in a YA book that's more targeted at like grade 12s. Right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about in Victoria's email. Mm-hmm. She she mentions the hashtag. The hashtag right. Rashad is still absent today. Um, and the way in which like hearing his name become like part of a hashtag and thus like he becomes sort of turned into a symbol. Mm-hmm. And, and Victoria has some really I think important thoughts about. You know she's uh, well. You know what I'm just gonna read. I'm gonna read what Victoria says. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. This is in response to um, discovering the hashtag. Not to mention that he feels torn between presenting his own authentic self and presenting what others want him to be, especially his father. His father expects him to be an upstanding young black man, which is a struggle a lot of black youth feel when they're expected to show themselves as against the harmful stereotypes white society is accustomed to. This struggle is especially true with the fact that his father was a cop who put the family in a similar situation that Rashad is experiencing and does not want his son to be at a disadvantage because of him on any basis. But Rashad challenges that system and and specifically he challenges that system when he becomes a hashtag right mm-hmm. and as i said before i think this is probably the best in the rashad component of the story is this interest in the family dynamic um mm-hmm. and i 
I will say for a book that did not have a lot of like surprise twists and turns, finding mm-hmm. out that Rashad's dad had Killed been someone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is very telling, right? Because there's a lot of sort of military and police involvement on both sides of these stories. And it's interesting to note that of all the characters to have been involved in some kind of violence in their line of work, that it would be Rashad's dad. Like, I wouldn't have called that. I wouldn't have thought that that's where the story was going to go. And I thought it was really interesting. Like, in a more conventional story, I do think we would have gotten some kind of interplay with that character. So um, Rashad's dad didn't kill someone, but he did paralyze them from the waist down, and they were in a wheelchair. And there's a moment where Rashad kind of looks up who this person is. Mm. And I think it would have been really easy and narratively cloying, like emotionally manipulative, to have forced some kind of interaction between characters in real life. And we don't. It's just... It's a moment where Rashad realizes my dad is not perfect. And part of the reason that he has become the person he is, is because of what he did. Yes, I, I agree 100%. I, <laughs> I think part of the reason why I think this whole plotline is really useful is something that's been coming up actually recently with the protests in Memphis and this idea that like, if the responding officer is black, like somehow we don't have to have a conversation about race like right no <laughs> like policing like as a structure mm-hmm. is like inherently white supremacist in nature it's like yeah yeah it's also it's a system you get indoctrinated into it's also anti-indigenous in nature it's a colonial mm-hmm. structure like yeah. i think that it's really useful and instructive in the book for Rashad to also have to wrestle with that notion within his own family and the extent to which like his dad is actually his dad has internalized a lot of racism the way Mm -hmm. he expects Rashad to hold himself and behave is you know he he he's terrorized by the idea of people seeing his son the way he saw that young black man on the street that day Mm -hmm. and I think that that's a really interesting complexity to add to to the book that I really appreciate it and that clearly is still something we need to talk about. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting in relationship to Spoonie, who is Rashad's older brother, who is constantly berated by their father for kind of not living up to his potential, even though he has a good job. He has a great girlfriend who, yes, is very politically active. She's the one who ends up organizing the protest. She's my favorite character in the whole book. I love her so much. But I think it's really interesting that Rashad's dad doesn't see him as a quote-unquote good black son because Shorty dresses like a quote-unquote thug, right? Like, mm-hmm. he, he's he got low-hanging pants and he, like, he presents in the way that I think white society is very fearful of black men in particular. So I'm fascinated by that dynamic. And then, of course, yeah, we've got this other character, uh, so Shorty's girlfriend, who is a fantastic representation of everything Rashad's dad should be after. And yet she is the opposite of him politically, where she is unafraid Mm -hmm. of speaking up and stepping out. Yeah. And I I think all of that dynamic is part of what makes those Rashad sections, honestly, so much richer. Mm -hmm. I do want to also note that Victoria brought up the same thing about how like the voices blend well together. 
And something I was grateful for, just a little shout out to Miriam for sending along some pictures from the illustrated edition. Yeah, which I didn't even know existed no. because I I got the piece where we got to see the speeches yes. that the two authors made. Yeah. So that's what I got. But I didn't have any illustrations and I didn't have like kind of reading group questions, which apparently are included in other versions. Yeah, no, neither did I. And so Miriam sent along just a few of the uh, illustrations by Akron Gourmet, who you know, does the does the images in this illustrated version. And in particular, she sent two that I thought were so effective. So one is like a very close up shot of the police officer punching Rashad. It's a very difficult mm-hmm. image to look at, actually, like it pulls no punches, uh, pardon the pun. But also a picture of what Quinn is seeing from his perspective. So like a picture of the back of the police officer. Um, right. And it's really really effective and and to me it demonstrates so well how the dual perspective works right because you know these are always cases that we're told are like oh we have to you know wait for the body cam or wait for this or wait for that and it'll explain Mm -hmm. everything and so here instead in like real time we have the two images and they actually they're from two very different perspectives they show two very different things but they reinforce each other, right? Like, even when Quinn can only see the back of the officer, he can see that the force that the officer is using against Rashad is too much, right? Right. And so I think that um, I wish I had read the illustrated version, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because these images are fantastic. But it also speaks to this idea of perhaps having um, a better audience at the upper middle grade level. And I I will say that uh, Miriam, who clearly knows more of Jason Reynolds' background than I do, uh, talks about how Reynolds is very big on writing books for reluctant readers. And I can totally see how this would be a grabby, quick gateway read. Yeah, for a reluctant reader, for sure, especially with these extremely powerful images. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we can pivot to talk about one of the things that uh, Tea Books and Chocolate raises, which is this is a very male voice dominated Mm. text and how they typically prefer to read female voices because it's a better medium. Often, I would also say we tend to get better characterization from female characters in YA. I don't know if you would agree with that. but I would, and I don't have like a reason for it, but I do agree that it tends to be the case. Mm Hmm. So one of the things that Tea Books and Chocolate says is that they wish there had been more from the female perspective. So there are female characters, but they're they're always framed through the lens of the male characters. And obviously, we're not getting any kind of internal monologue from them as a result. But uh, what's interesting to Tea Books and Chocolate is that so clearly in the book, so much of the activism rests on the shoulders of black women. So there's a a woman who runs the gift shop in the hospital who ends Mm. up talking about her. She talks about how her brother went down uh, to protest for civil rights, like I think it's back in the 50s or something, and basically how the decision to become involved is part of what you need to grapple with. Like you need to decide, are you the person who's going to stand up for what you believe in, even if it... You know, it, it's what the book's thesis is, even if it comes at a personal cost. Well, and what's cool about that character is that she's not saying it from the perspective of like, I've been there and I know. She's saying it from mm-hmm. the perspective of like, I really regret not going with my brother. Right. I should yeah. have been there. Yeah, even if it meant I might have been arrested, even if it meant I might have been harmed. And, you know, this comes back into play when you get the visualization of the protest and the police have lined the streets, like they have allowed 
you know, a certain pathway for this protest march that's going to end at City Hall with a, a die-in or a laydown. And there's a description at one point of tanks mm-hmm. rolling in on the streets. And I... I actually found it very overwhelming, like just thinking about what it would be like to be on the ground as a tank rolls on a a metropolitan street. That would be mm. so scary. Oh yeah, totally, totally. And I, I, one of the things I think that the book does well is show, you know, the shock that Quinn has at that. Whereas, like Rashad feels unsettled by it, but but he's not shocked in the <laughs> same way, right? Like <laughs> he sort of knew that this would be coming, and I think that that's really. Uh, yeah, I I agree. I, I also note that, you know, for all that we're saying that this book maybe is better targeted at a younger audience or perhaps a more reluctant reader, Tea Books and Chocolate makes the point that this book has a lot of complex themes, but isn't didactic. And I think you mm-hmm. make the same point, Joe, when you said like, you know, it doesn't have a nice, tidy, happy ending. And there are things that happen in the text that are unpredictable. So yeah, I think... I definitely think it's worth reading, and I yeah. almost wish we read it five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that we read it now so that we can have the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think, to be honest, it was a great place to end our banned book series and to move forward into the future. Um, but yeah, like you, I I almost wish we had read this before other texts that we've read so that we could have seen some of that progression. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, so Brenda, we've teased it numerous times. <laughs> What are we doing with book club this year? Oh, Joe. Okay. So I didn't have like an easy, tidy theme when I sat down to plan book club this year. (laughs) And we made it hard for you. (laughs) Yeah. I just knew that I didn't want to read any books by like white people, I guess. Mm -hmm. And specifically white men. White men in particular. So one of the things that um, comes up a lot when Joe and I are programming the show is like, we have a really strong commitment to reading books by lots of different voices. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. Hollywood has not shown the same commitment no. to adapting <laughs> lots of different voices to film. So I really see the book club as an important place where we spend time with voices who will probably never get a movie adaptation. Although right. although mm-hmm. the first book that I picked, Joe, was like, there's a movie coming out this year. And I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> Well, because you picked a romantic comedy. <laughs> I did. It's true. It's true. Um, I'm thinking of this as an own voices book club series for this year. But one of the things that I've really prioritized in selecting the texts is they're all folks of color, but they're also like a lot of them. I think almost half the texts are queer stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really an opportunity, I think, for us to just read more perspectives on more different ways of being in the world. So it's not as tidy as saying like band book club, which was really easy to say and really easy to program. But it's, I think, going to be a really interesting year of stories. Oh, the other thing to note is that they're all um, recent. So everything's been published within the last five years. We've noticed that Mm -hmm. y'all are more likely to read along with us. when a book has come out recently. Like, I think sometimes what happens is we announce book club and you go, oh yeah, that was on my TBR list. And so then you read it with us. So uh, we've stuck <laughs> to, I don't want to say really contemporary because I've got two historical fiction um, right. texts in here, but they are all published recently. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it also makes it a little bit easier to get your hands on a copy. Yeah. Which is helpful if you do want to read along. I should announce one of the other decisions that Brenna and I have made with regard to programming is that we do want to try to read more international texts. We notice yes. we do tend to read a lot of North American. And obviously, our priority will always be Canadian and mm-hmm. particularly Indigenous Canadian. But um, we did want to expand some of the scope. So one of the things that we've been doing over the last little while is collecting recommendations from listeners who are talking about foreign YA. So folks, we're actually going to try to prioritize reading and maybe even watching adaptations of international YA. So we're going to aim to do that once a month in addition to book clubs. So hopefully we're really branching out away from white North Americans. (laughs) Yeah. The thing is, we could do a whole YA podcast and like, they actually already exist where it's just white ladies it's just like Mm wall-to-wall white ladies as far as the eye can see um (laughs) we've always tried to not be that but i think one of the things that changes for us in 2023 is that instead of being like oh there's not many adaptations out there oh i guess we're reading more books by white people Mm -hmm. where we can make space for difference that's what we're doing so that's our big priority both in terms of yeah more international content and more own voices stories both Mm -hmm. in book club and in minisodes and hopefully yeah, hopefully some regular adaptations. We've already got a few yeah. programmed, and I'm looking forward to them, Joe. We absolutely do, yeah. So that's also a bit of a call to action for folks. So we have, Brenna has spent some time curating the book club, and we'll tell you what we're going to read next in a moment. But if you have international recommendations, particularly if they have also been turned into films or television yes. shows, we would love to hear them. The condition is, of course, that there needs to be an English translation. An English translation that we can get our hands on without stealing. That's really the only framework, right, Joe? <laughs> Ideally. I mean, I'm, I'm not always above uh, <laughs> going into the dark web to get my literature. But ideally, yes, if we could hit up a library or a bookstore, that would be preferable. Okay, so can I tell folks what our first book is? Yeah, go ahead. I'm so excited for you to read this book, Joe, because I read it last Christmas in Mm -hmm. like a day, and (laughs) I loved it so much. So the book is A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow by Laura Taylor Namey. And um, this is a story about a girl who goes to England unexpectedly mm-hmm. <laughs> and is finds herself completely at sea culturally. Uh, I know that you're going to like this, Joe, because it's a book that is honestly primarily about food and like mm-hmm. enjoying food and sharing food. And also there's a love story, lots of kissing, definitely our <laughs> most like mainstream straight Uh, love story of book club so it's a little bit of like a we're easing into it we're easing into it (laughs) we're easing into it but folks i know a lot of you have this book hanging around because it was a big bestseller it was on uh, reese witherspoon's book club in fact so a cuban girl's guide to tea and tomorrow is where we're starting and if joe survives it we will move on to the rest of book club Right. Yeah. So folks, if you do want to read along, we'll ask you to get your responses into us by February 17th. That is your due date. So we're giving you just over two weeks if you're listening to this on the day the episode drops. And Brenna, since folks have asked us to inform them two books ahead, can you tell us what the next book after that would be? 
Yes, it could not be more different. So our next book after that is called Apple Skin to the Core by Eric Gansworth. Eric Gansworth is not someone we've read on the show before, although we have talked about him in homework. He's an indigenous writer. He's from the Onondaga Nation, grew up in the Tuscarora Nation, and has written a lot of very popular YA about the experience of of growing up indigenous. But this Hmm. is actually his memoir. Oh, Um, okay. And... It's a memoir in verse. Oh, wow. Brenna. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So from like the probably the most um, formally like traditional book on the book club for January, February, and then moving on to the absolute most edgy challenging Mm -hmm. structural book on the on the book club we're going we're going back to back (laughs) all right yeah Mm -hmm. and that one uh if you want to read along that'll be for mid-march please obviously the dates are posted in the show notes but brenda that's not where we're headed next Uh, do you want to tell people how they can get in touch if they are reading and then we'll tell them where we're going next week (laughs) yay okay folks so if you are reading along with book club and of course i hope that you are you can find us Still on Twitter. Joe, I was mm-hmm. listening to a back episode where I was like, will Twitter still exist? And it turns out it's that it does. It's holding on. It's holding it on. It sort of sucks now, but it still exists. So you Pretty can find, garbage, yeah. <laughs> you can find us at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. And of course, if you've got something longer, email is the best way to get in touch for book club because then we get to read your excerpts on the show. That's HKHSPod at gmail.com. Joe, mm-hmm. if they're looking specifically for you... Where do they find you? I can be reached at B Stone My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. All right. So, folks, uh, we're not quite up to book club next week. We've obviously got a little bit of time. So we're going to ease you back into this. This is actually Brenna's and my first recording of the new year. So uh, we're also easing ourselves back into it. (laughs) It's episode 19 of this season, but it's our first one of this year wild absolutely wild. so well, folks we're going to do for the first time ever a comic and it's animated adaptation so this was a recommendation from longtime listener max not not sure if max is still kicking around haven't heard from him in a while but um max recommended an unorthodox combination of batman versus the teenage mutant ninja turtles so we're going to read volume one of the comic and then watch the animated dc feature this is not our first comic adaptation, Joe, but it is well, our first. It's the like, first animated adaptation. Well, Persepolis. Oh, damn it. I was <laughs> but I get what you're saying, because it is our first sort of like mainstream floppy comic adaptation into right. a DC Studios type animated film. And mm-hmm. I have to say that this is not a place like film wise where I have a lot of experience or frankly, comfort so it's gonna gonna be an interesting conversation and i'm looking forward to it yeah yeah so that's uh next week batman and ninja turtles who would have thought (laughs) together at last right (laughs) all right joe so uh i think we've laid out for folks where the plan is going next i hope everybody's got a good sense of what they need to be reading and watching Mm -hmm. um so there's nothing more to say except that i will see you on the page And I will see you on the screen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I realized I did not put the land acknowledgement in here. I was just going back to look for it. I was like, oh, no. We haven't recorded in so long, Joe. (laughs) This is wild. Yeah.
Clearly, we're total pros at this. It's fine. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry, fire alarm. Oh no! Oh my god! It's fine. They're they're wrapping it up. Fantastic. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>